Hello, football faithful, and welcome to another episode of the Double Doing Podcast. My name is Brendan Deeg at Eagles Talk underscore on Twitter. And today, my co-host is back with us, Mr. Eric Warner at Bears Talk underscore on Twitter. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Good to be back. Good to be back. We have another good guest for today. Yeah, of course. Um, Mr. Ben Ennis, um, host of Sportsnet Connected and a co-host of The Good Show from 9 to 12 on Fan 590 is with us. Ben, how are you doing today? Doing all right, guys. Yeah, happy to be here. So, Ben, um... Some of our listeners might not uh, know exactly who you are. Um, why don't you tell them a bit about yourself and how you got into the industry? Well, first of all, I'm extremely offended that someone wouldn't know exactly what I'm about and what I've done <laughs> every step of the way in my career. I've just, I, 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 you know, I'm. You're lucky I don't just hang up the phone right now. <laughs> well, we, uh, everyone in Canada definitely knows who you are. We have, we have an American-based following, so um, maybe, maybe, maybe not know who you are. Yeah, yeah, sure. Everyone in Canada knows who I am. All thirty-six million. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, yeah, man. No, I, uh, I, yeah, I've been in uh, sports media my my whole uh, working life, really. You know, having real jobs. I mean, I don't really count uh, having a paper route. But yeah, for like almost twenty years now, I've been doing this in uh, in Canada. I grew up uh, in the in the Greater Toronto area, just outside of Toronto, in a little suburb called uh, Oakville. Actually, we're you know maybe American. Listeners, uh, remember this guy, Donovan Bailey's from Oakville, uh, two-time Olympic gold medalist, of course, from the Atlanta Olympics. But, um, yeah, and kind of, I mean, grew up as a sports fan. My dad was into sports, but not super hardcore. Like, he was a Leaf fan and kind of peripherally paid attention to sports. 92-93, though, when uh, the Blue Jays were winning World Series, that's when I... Like I was like, I gotta, I gotta do this more. I gotta, I gotta be involved with this. What is there? What is a job that I can do? One that I won't hate my life every waking moment. Something that I'll actually enjoy, and something that brings me closer to sports. So, uh, with that in the, the back of my mind, I, uh, I went to school for journalism um, and uh, media studies, which is, listen, I got the piece of paper, so that's good. I don't know if there's anything I learned in school that helped me uh, in my career. Um, but yeah, at, at the same time that I was going to school, I was interning at a bunch of different places, working for free for basically an entire year, doing radio and uh, uh, doing stuff for, uh, I think a now defunct thing called Rogers TV, which is basically volunteer TV in Ontario, in Canada. I was doing everything behind the scenes, I uh, did some reporting for, for the fan. I did some producing. I uh, eventually got a big break of doing live overnight updates at, uh, at the fan during the Turin Olympics, which was a, a big thrill. And then it's just kind of been like a slow, steady climb since then, you know? There's no, there's no roadmap to this career. There's no, hey, man, this is what you got to do. If you do this, you'll end up here. Everybody has a different story, and mine was just uh, never say no, work a lot of nights, work a lot of weekends, miss a lot of parties, and uh, yeah, I've done just about everything, and, and uh, I think it was about four or five years ago, I was, uh, I was hired to be uh, the full-time host of the one to four show on the band, which was the Andrew Walker show, and then uh, Andrew left, went to Vancouver, do his own show, and then 
uh, JD was hired shortly after, and we've been we've been working together ever since. And the TV stuff, it's kind of yeah, it's been a circuitous, long circuitous route where I I told you I was doing the Rogers TV stuff. I was I did a soccer show for a little bit. I did sports for news, and yeah, now I'm doing you know a couple uh, uh, highlight shows a week up here on Sportsnet. Uh, a month, sorry, yeah, not a week, but every yeah, a couple of shows a month. Yeah, you're uh, you're a really popular, really popular figure in the Canadian sports industry. Um, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, so let's jump right into it. Um, but we are a football-based podcast, so before we kind of jump into Toronto sports, I do want to uh, do want to talk some football with you. Um, is there the NFL is kind of in that dead zone where we're waiting for a free agency in the NFL draft? I'm just wondering, is there is there is there any good storyline you're like really looking forward to this NFL offseason besides the Tom Brady? We'll jump into that a little later. Is there anything like you're really looking forward to this NFL offseason, like anyone get traded or anything? Um, what what are you looking most looking forward to this NFL offseason? Well, I mean, the Cleveland Browns have to be the most interesting team this offseason, right? With the disappointment of last year, uh, a lot of people picking them to win that division and the way it went so incredibly sideways. Now you're seeing the occasional pictures of Baker Mayfield, maybe let it all go. Like, how do they, how do they change the narrative? Is it more than just a personnel issue? Can you win with that core? I think is super interesting. The other one that's really piqued my interest is kind of related to the Brady thing. I think it was Tom Curran, uh, this week who's been all over the Brady stuff but when he mentioned the San Francisco 49ers as a team that could be in on Brady with Jimmy G coming back to New England and reuniting with Bill Belichick and Belichick getting to do the thing that maybe he really wanted to do all along of course it worked out anyways they ended up winning a Super Bowl with Brady and getting to another one but that he believed in Jimmy G so much at the time that he sent him to a place where he thought he could have success that thing is so, so interesting. And if it belies a belief or a disbelief in San Francisco in Jimmy G, who, yeah, didn't have a great Super Bowl, but people act like he was just a passenger there. He went toe-to-toe with Russell Wilson a couple of times during the season. There, We know how Super Bowl windows can close quicker than you ever anticipated. If they truly believe he could be the thing keeping them from reaching the highest of highs, whether they pivot from him with or without Tom Brady. Right. That that San Francisco rumor got quite a bit of traction this week. Um, I don't know if I could see it happening, but if it did, that would be crazy. Um, where do you where do you have Brady landing? All right. So the the natural stuff with the production company is to draw the straight line to LeBron. Right. This is it's so it's so easy to do that. I just I can't see it, man. He's that that brand isn't on par. But the the Chargers are not the Lakers, right? So obviously, uh, personal stuff is going to be involved, along with uh, whether he ends up in a place where he thinks he can win. But I think more than anything, though, it's the money. Doesn't it feel like it's the money? Like somebody. I think, yeah, I think I think you're right. Give him thirty million. Yeah, go ahead. I think you're right. Um, I think Tom Brady wants $30 million of the Patriots. If he doesn't get it, I think he's walking. Yeah. I, it feels like he's he's bit the bullet for long enough. He's taken less. He's built championships. Now it's about getting respect. There, there's nothing that he can do in a negative light that changes the story of Tom Brady. He's not going to go somewhere 
and you know what, last year was about the, the support, but it was also about him, that that continues, that the downward trajectory of his actual performance continues somewhere else, and he's bad, and somebody has to cut bait with him, and they have a bunch of dead money. But like that, that there's no way that's even in the, on the first page of his Wikipedia entry when he finally decides to retire. So it's all about, hey, man, maybe one of these years I can actually make more money than my supermodel wife that I can make $60 million into my mid-40s because somebody believes there's still something there. It's about respect, it feels like. And sure, Robert Kraft definitely respects him, but now it's time for Bill Belichick to respect me. And I I just think it's it's such a curious... It would be so anti-Belichick to give him $60 million over two years for for a guy who seems like he he can't do it all on on his own. Yeah, my co-host here, uh, he says the same thing. He thinks it's the most unbelichick like um, way to give Tom Brady $60 million. And personally, I think it's going to happen. I think it's a two-year $60 million contract. I think he's back in New England. I, I don't see I don't see any other way. Like, you, are you still on the Vegas train? I'm still going Vegas. I think Mark Davis is the only guy stupid enough to give him $60 million. Yeah, I mean, doesn't the, the idea of the dead cap, though, still in New England, it makes it a little more likely, right? Because if he, so it's really, what is it, 15 million extra that they'd be on the hook for this year if they re-sign him. Um, yeah, it just does, it feels just so anti-Belichick, right? Like, clearly he's not, well, he, I, I still think he has something there, but you, ha- you have to surround him. He can't be the only piece. There's no more Rishay Caldwell. Like, there's no, you have to give him something in the receiving game, and you can't like for a caretaker quarterback, you can't be paying that guy thirty million bucks. Yeah, and there was a rumor coming out today. I think Schefter said it um, on uh, on NFL Network. I can't remember exactly where he said it, but he said the Patriots are looking um, diving into NFL uh, receiver trades and tight end trades. So I, I, I think I think it all works out. I think he, I think well, he'll end up back in doing. I think maybe like March sixteenth, the day be- two days before free agency. I think he'll I think he'll sign that two year sixty million dollar deal. I think they'll make a trade to get a receiver. And I think we'll all will be well in New England land. Anyways, um, let's let's move off football. Let's kind of dive into uh, our, our home city sports. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs were in action last night um, with a two-one win against Tampa Bay Lightning. Freddie Anderson was stood on his head. Um, I got we got to ask you this question. Me and, me and my coach were talking about this earlier. Why is why is a Tyson Berry playing with a twenty-year-old rookie? Why why is that the deep thing? Is there any reason behind it? Are you just as mad as we are about this or? Well, here's the thing. Why is Tyson Berry playing with Rasmus Sandin? Why is Tyson Berry playing with Jake Muzzin? Why is Tyson Berry playing with Travis Dermott? Like, the only guy that Tyson Berry's played with where you're like, you know what, that didn't look like the worst thing in the world, was Martin Marincin. Like, it's, it's wild. That, that trade has been so bad on all fronts. Because Alex Kerfoot, okay, they got him back playing center on the third line. That's all well and good. I mean, how often does Alex Kerfoot jump off the screen in any of these games? I mean, ultimately, I think they have Barry in a spot minutes-wise, role-wise, that makes the most sense. Playing on the third pairing, playing, what did he play? Like yesterday, he played like 10 minutes of even-strength hockey, and he was at the, the five or so minutes on the power play. But this guy needs to be sheltered. He's an offensive specialist. He plays on the power play. He plays when you have an offensive zone faceoff. But you're right. Like, Rasmus Sandin has looked overwhelmed at times. He's more of an offensive puck-moving guy. He can't do anything about 
guys in front of the net. He's not going to move anybody. That Those two together are such a huge defensive liability that you need someone, honestly, like a Martin Marincin, who's not even going to think about playing offense at all or want the puck at all, and that it's going to be Tyson Berry doing his thing, taking the risk, and big old Marty Marincin trying to cover up for him and at least be able to at least have the size to move people out in front of the net. But, yeah, it's like it, 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 he's doing no favors to a 19-year-old playing the way he has all season long. But at this point, that's what he is. Yeah, that, that trade, unfortunately, has not worked out in the least favor. Uh, I saw a tweet last night from somebody, I think it was in the third period, and they tweeted, holy, Alex Kerfoot playing tonight? I didn't even know. I thought he was scratched. And that's kind of how I felt about his game the last little bit. He's been invisible. But um, there's another player rumored to be coming back soon, uh, Ilya Mikheyev. When he gets back, do you think he'll slot into the top six where he was or back into the bottom six? Oh, yeah. No, for sure this guy, I think we established. I know it's such a small sample, but he he looked absolutely like Zach Hyman light, who we can all agree. Like, the, the discussions about Zach Hyman in the, in the past, they were warranted, but it's all over now. Like, Zach Hyman is a legit top, top six NHL forward on this team or really any other, for that matter, uh, even if he's not going to score the 30 goals, which he would be on pace for if he played the whole season. But, yeah, they, that, they, that's the sixth forward is – area where they've really had trouble finding someone to do it. I mean, it started with Kasperi Kapan in there, which lasted a week, a couple of weeks before he couldn't hack it, and they shuffled guys through, including Kerfoot. Uh, Dennis Mulgan got a couple of games in the in the top six, right? Like, they're just they're searching for answers. Uh, for one game only, at least, uh, the Kapanen thing revisited looked okay. He looked like he actually belonged. He popped. He still had his normal offensive flair and you know what the the forwards were good for the Leafs yesterday against the Lightning but it really does feel like they have something in Mikheyev who is he's got a little bit of offensive talent but he just has a nose for the puck comes away from puck battles with the puck so often has a really good stick and is not you know he doesn't need necessarily to have the puck on his stick and clearly can feed those other two guys on that line whether it's uh Matthews and uh, Nylander or if they just swap them out for Kapanen who played alongside Tavares and, and Marner yesterday, that makes total sense for me. And then you get Kapanen back into a, more of a depth scoring role, which this team has just struggled so so mightily with all season long, trying to find any offense outside of the top six. Yeah, I like I like the comparison to Hyman. They're, they're both just so tough on pucks. Um, Something else some people in Toronto have been calling for is maybe Zach Hyman getting some time on the power play uh, just to be in front of that net, retrieve pucks for the big boys. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's funny. We had uh, Dave Anderchuk uh, on the show yesterday. Uh, and what does he know about the power play? I mean, he just has the most power play goals in the history of the NHL. But, yeah, talk about, you know, sometimes you can get um, – you, you lose some momentum on the power play when you're always one and done, when you're not winning puck battles, when you're always trying to worry about your entries and figuring out that perfect play, and then it doesn't happen, and then all of a sudden a minute, minute and a half has gone by, and power play one, uh, they're off the ice. So, I mean, if you were to suggest Zach Hyman in for whatever, whoever it is, uh, a, uh, a, a Nylander or whoever, swapping them out, 
for Zach Hyman a couple of years ago, you'd be laughed out of the building. I still, I'm, I'm not quite there yet because even though they went 0 for 15 over that California road trip on the power play and it hasn't looked good, more often than not, it, it's been good. And good teams go through this and good power plays go through it. And the larger sample would tell you that the power play has still been good under Sheldon Keith and Paul McFarland. That's the thing that they've actually addressed in the offseason, and it's worked. So ultimately, I know this sounds stupid considering how how little success they've had in the very uh, recent past, but like, don't mess with success. And they score two, two power play goals against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, just get more of that. Like they did, and they did it a couple of different ways. They moved Marner around a little bit. He was playing on the point on uh, on the power play. Although the second goal, the Matthews goal, was basically what they've been trying to do all season long with that scene pass. But yeah, try and score a couple of different ways. Throw it at the net. Try and get one of those close-in tips, uh, which was the reason for the the Nylander goal in in the first period. Just yeah, I think you've got to have a little more offensive creativity where it's like. The, the, the Matthews seam pass one-timer, it looks good when it works, and he's obviously one of the most skilled offensive players. But, yeah, sometimes that's just not going to be available. Yeah, um, I tweeted last night, the puck just seems to find Austin Matthews like I've never seen before out of a trauma belief. Um, and, and you know what, I, I, I kind of on your side too. I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with taking Nylander off the power play for a guy like Zach Hyman right now. Nylander's playing, I, I think he's playing with top three on the team right now. He's yeah. he's living up to that contract. I think he's, he's, if he plays like that, that contract's one of the better in the NHL. Um, before we move on to uh, some Toronto Blue Jays talk, so we talk, I got to ask you kind of the one underlying question about the Leafs. We're three points up. Game, uh, the floor's got a game in hand. Are we going to do it? Are we going to blow this? Do you think we hold on to this playoff spot? Um, and if we if we, if we we blow this, what's going to happen to this team? So I'll answer the first question first, uh, naturally. Yeah. yeah, no, of course they're going to make the playoffs. It's not going to be easy. Like, at no point should anyone ever think that the, the Leafs are now, they've figured it out, they beat Tampa, they understand what's necessary, they're going to beat the Predators, they're going to beat the Bruins on Saturday, and it's going to be – smooth sailing the rest of the way. Like, there's no chance. Like, there's, we're going to have another conversation at some point uh, before the end of the season in these final 12 games where you're like, oh, yeah, no, they've lost it again. It's all over. And maybe it is that, that final Panthers game, which is happening in a week and a half um, at Scotiabank Arena. But, yeah, I, I do think they're going to make it for the sole reason that, like, the, the macrocosm is a microcosm of games. Like, we see it. When this team needs to, when they, when they are embarrassed, when the spotlight is on them, when people are saying negative things, when it looks like it's all over, they bounce back. They go 0 for 3 in California against three of the five worst teams in the NHL, and they come back and beat a good Lightning team. Granted, without two of their better players, but they've done it time and time again. They get smoked by the Penguins, come back with one of their better games of the, of the season. Freddie Anderson. Looks like he's about to lose his job. Comes back with a shutout in that game. They lose to a 42-year-old Zamboni driver. And they come back and they sweep Florida. So, yeah, they're going to make the playoffs because they need they need to uh, have their attention grabbed. But once it's grabbed, they seem to, to come through. And I forget the second one. What was the second one? If they don't make the playoffs, what happens to this team? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, anything. Everything's on the table. I, I still... I think it's it's too early to cut bait on one of the, the top four guys. It's just you're so pot committed to that. And if you're doing that, it's such a huge admission 
uh, by Kyle Dubas. And really, you can replay the season. While there's some obvious flaws in this team, you re- you replay the season with with Sheldon Keith for the whole year. And while they haven't exactly been, they haven't played like the best team in the NHL since he arrived. The overall body of work would let you to be- believe that they have more than a three point cushion on the Florida Panthers if they start the year with him. Just I mean, just look at the special teams alone. It was costing the Leafs so dearly, and Freddie Anderson was so bad at times, uh, and the save percentage is so bad that I think, yeah, you're making moves. Like, and obviously the blue line win. I mean, if they make the playoffs or, or not, the blue line still needs to be a huge area of focus. But I still think it's 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 a season too early to make one of those massive seismic shifts of like, say, shipping a, a Mitch Marner out somewhere. Right. Right. All right, let's uh, let's move on to uh, the upcoming J season. Uh, you're one of the opinion, baseball opinions in the city I really, really respect. So I'm going to start with just a simple question. Right now in Vegas, the over-under for the Jays wins is 75.5. If you're a betting man, would you take the over or the under? Yeah, I'm taking the over. I've been on I've been on record. Is it 70, 75.5, eh? So, yeah, it's oh, – wow. uh, yeah, that was today was seven when I looked it up was seventy five and a half. Seems low. Yeah, yeah, it it does. Now, granted, what they they won uh, sixty seven games a season yeah. ago, so it's it would be <laughs> be a massive improvement either way. But yeah, yeah, yeah. man, uh, uh, here's the thing: the Yankees are gonna be battling it out with the Rays at the top of the division. We know that, but the Yankees are a little banged up. Aaron Judge is banged up, and John Carlos Stanton. I don't know if they can ever rely on that guy to be uh, in the lineup. The Red Sox have huge, huge issues. I mean, the sale injury could totally derail them. I don't know what they do with that rotation. And they have Kevin Pillar starting every day for them. Like, you're going to see Kevin Pillar in the lineup for the Boston Red Sox, the vaunted Red Sox <laughs> offense. Um, the, the Jays, honestly, it's so funny to talk about a team that was so bad in the rotation a year ago where the ERA for the – the starting staff, I think, was like five and a half. But I have more questions about this Blue Jays offense than the pitching at this moment. They've done an incredible job remaking the staff, getting the NL ERA leader from a year ago in Hunjin Ryu. And even if he's not the guy that did lead the NL in ERA this year, he's going he's gonna to be, I mean, at least a low four ERA guy. And then adding those depth pieces in Chase Anderson and Tanner Roark is going to be huge. But then, the, of course, the, the wild card is, they could be adding a guy who's a true number one ace. And the Jays really haven't had that since Roy Halladay. Like, I don't watching the Blue Jays with Roy Halladay, it's a different deal. Like, there's, there's number one pitchers, and there's good pitchers, and there's Marcus Strowmans, and there's Aaron Sanchez's who are good. They're good. But, man, when you have a true number one ace guy, like a Roy Halladay or like a Nate Pearson could be, it's every five days you're like, well, that's – that's we're we're in that game. We don't have to do all that much to win it. And if it's the middle game of a three game series, you're like, we just need to take one of these other games and and we've taken the series. So I, I just think they're so improved in the starting rotation. I think you're gonna see you're gonna you better see a step forward offensively from from Vlad Jr. Bo, I, I don't know if he's quite that type of player that we saw a season ago, but I, I think he's damn good. I really could see this team, and they're, they're, they're not shying away from it either. Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins have talked already about, you know, if they're in it, um, 
at the deadline making moves to 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 push for a playoff spot as early as this year. I could I'm, I don't know if I'm quite there, but I picked them to win 80 games this year, which means in the two wild card system, like you're you're playing super meaningful baseball into the fall. I don't think that's an unrealistic expectation. I, I would definitely take the over on 75 and a half. Nice. So I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, my two biggest concerns with this team right now would probably be the outfield and the bullpen. Which one are you more concerned about? Yeah, bullpens are so weird. Like, bullpens are really, really weird. So it, it could end up be it could end up being the bullpen. I mean – uh, Ken Giles is always an injury concern, but it feels like you 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 feel pretty comfortable in the ninth inning, and then the rest of it you're like I maybe okay potentially like Mark Sachinski is back in the mix to be in the bullpen for the Blue Jays. Uh, like who's their other lefties? Yeah, Tim Mesa hurt. Uh, yeah, no, the bullpen could be, but I just I mean there's there's so many teams you could say that about even teams who project to have good bullpens. So many of them have to remake them mid-season because it's such a fluctuating position reliever. The the, the outfield is 100% my concern. Um, I don't think it's it's a hot take or going out on a limb to, to talk about not believing in Randall Gritchick or Teoscar Hernandez, but I don't. Um, I don't think either of those guys – well, I know neither of them can get on base. I don't think either of them is going to make up for not getting on base by hitting – uh, to a high average or slugging the hell out of the baseball. And I think both, frankly, are a liability defensively. Tay Oscar, obviously, way more than Gritchick. But I, I think the people were buying the fool's gold that Tay Oscar was selling them when he moved to center field for a time last year. And every this, is, this has been a spring training narrative for the last couple of years that he's totally worked on his defense and you're going to see a different guy in, in right field. Uh, I, I guess at this point I have to believe Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is isn't uh, a plus offensive guy because he has a long enough track record if he can just stay healthy. But, yeah, man, the other two spots and then the DH spot, there's, there's huge, huge question marks. Is Travis Shaw is your everyday first baseman. That means you're looking at Rowdy Telez, uh as your DH most days and then Teoscar Hernandez and Randall Grichuk in the lineup every single Hey, I just I don't think a good team has two thirds of their outfield that is is that I think inept offensively. I think it's going to be a huge problem this season. I think it's the reason that'll keep them from being one of those true playoff contenders in the American League. It's probably something you can't address in season, but that's obviously going to be the area that they look to to change when they actually want to become a, uh, uh, like one of those teams that competes at the top of the division. Yeah, I know JD isn't a fan of the Gritchuk contract. I don't know how you how you can even remotely like it. His on base percentage last year was under three hundred. That's that's not even MLB playable. Like I don't know what they do with that contract. No, it's it's horrible. I mean, ten million or eleven million bucks, whatever he's earning for what the next four years. It's like it's baseball, so, so you can kind of get away with it, especially considering where the, the Jays' payroll is at now, even with $20 million owed to Hunjin Ryu. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think any, any good baseball team has Randall Grichuk as uh, an everyday player. And I, what, what it, at least the, if there was one positive I could take away from the Grichuk conversation this spring is that it feels like maybe Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins aren't as committed to him 
as you think they might be, you know, signing them to a five-year extension, you would think that they would be going down with the ship. But I think they realized what everybody else realizes, that he was never a guy that got on base, and that, you know, buying on whatever 60 games at the end of the season uh, and, and giving a guy a contract based on that was probably a bad idea. It's just that this offense is so one-dimensional, right? They just don't have enough guys that get on base. You can have a couple of guys who are free swingers, or one guy that's a free swinger that, you know, he runs into one and it changes a ball game. But you can't have basically, no, all three of your outfield spots are that. Like even Lourdes Gurriel Jr., the reason he's been able to, to, to be good enough offensively is because he's hitting for a high enough average. But he's not exactly going to take 100 walks a year either. They, they just have too many of those guys. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I think I think this offense is going to come kind of come down to Bo Bichette and Vladdy. I know it's it's an easy thing to say, but if those two guys can produce and you can kind of get uh, they produce what they um like kind of r- ramping up their uh, ramping up their uh, their development and produce right away, I think this I think this team does have a shot to kind of to surprise some people. Um, one more Jays question for you. Um, Nate Pearson is going to be up, I, I guess, probably before the end of May. Um, I think the Jays will probably get him up as fast as possible. Um, what should Toronto expect from this kid? Uh, if he, I, We're all waiting for the next Roy Holiday. Um, we're all waiting kind of for the next star um, on the Toronto Blue Jays um, pitching staff. What should Toronto um, Blue Jay fans realistically expect from the kid when he does come up? Uh, realistically... Um, <laughs> what I'm about to say is probably not realistic, but it is truly how I feel. I really think that this guy can't miss. And I didn't say that about Vlad, and I definitely didn't say it about Bo, because it's so, it's so much more difficult to evaluate uh, position player prospects because uh, th- there's been so many in the past that look like they, they couldn't miss. Matt Laporta, to name one of them, but the list is so long, where you're like, well, that guy, he's just done it at every level. He's He's just never faltered, and and the swing is so pure, and you get to the major leagues, and that guy's going to be bona fide, no doubt, a stud. And, yeah, Vlad and Bo may be that, but I wasn't nearly as certain as I am uh, with Nate Pearson. If if you throw 100, and you can locate, and you have an above-average slider, and then you've got a couple of uh, tertiary pitches that are good enough that can keep keep hitters off your fastball – you're going to be good. Like, you're going to be really, really good. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that when, in fact, I would bank on it, when Nate Pearson arrives, even as well as, as Hunjin Ryu might be pitching, that he's the best pitcher on the team right away. Like, we've seen it in spring. He's dominating real-life major league players. Like, Josh Bell was swinging a sword at one of those high fastballs up and in at his eyes. He just couldn't react in time. From what I've seen, from what I've heard, from what I've read, I just I don't see the scenario. Barring injury, of course, and you always have to say barring injury, but he's not not a, he's been injured, but it's not been like uh, a shoulder or an elbow thing. It was an elbow because he he broke his elbow because somebody hit a comebacker at him. But barring injury, like I don't see how this guy doesn't step right into the major league rotation and start and start uh, dominating even in the American League East. The stuff is just too good. I agree. I agree. I, I think he's can't miss. It, it's an easy 100 with him, too. It doesn't even look like he's going max effort. It just comes out of his hand, and you see 100. You're like, wow. Um, but like, we want to get you out of the out of here on one last question. Um, the MLB today came out and said they're looking at alternative sites for games uh, due to the coronavirus. Uh, do you think this is feasible? 
Yeah, I, I don't know how that could possibly work. We've seen it. We we have actually in recent memory seen uh, Major League Baseball game played without fans. They did in Baltimore a couple of years ago, well. right? There was yeah, the there was riot, some right? miles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so they've done that before. It just um, yeah, I don't. I've always been curious as to whether we would see teams play neutral site games at the beginning of the year uh, because of the weather, whether they would move away entirely from some of those open air ballparks uh, in Northern climates, whether they would even play those games in April. But yeah, can I see them moving to neutral sites? I think I see them playing without fans before they do that. But of course, like nobody, everybody's guessing at this point, it's, it's so fast moving and like we're, we're fast approaching. I mean, it'll be really, really interesting to see what happens with March Madness, I think, which is – it's a week before – like a week to the day before the Blue Jays open up their season. March Madness opens up on a Thursday, and, like, you hear stuff as as drastic as, like, canceling the whole thing and rescheduling all of March Madness. Um, I, I think if I were to guess, if I were to bet, I would say that they either go – go forward as per normal or they play without fans, but I don't see them moving teams to neutral sites. The other reason is, and it's been pointed out on Twitter that you're taking teams from places where there's a high concentration of coronavirus and then implanting them into a place where there's no coronavirus also seems kind of not like the greatest idea uh, when you're moving people with potentially a virus to a place without a virus, as far as proliferating the coronavirus. But yeah, nobody really knows. We're all guessing at this point, but it's scary. Yeah, no, I, 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 I want this to get solved quickly. I, I would hate to see, for instance, March Madness, anything happens that could cancel. It's one of my favorite sporting tournaments of uh, um, of the year. And anything that happens at MLB or any effects like the NHL or NBA playoffs, I really hope this uh, really hope this gets solved soon. Anyways, I really appreciate you coming on, Ben. Um, before you go, just uh, let the listeners know where they can find you on social media. Yeah, you can check me out on Twitter, at SportsNetBen. I'm on Instagram as well, but I suck at Instagram. Uh, <laughs> BNS. Oh, one. But yeah, you can follow me there. Maybe one day I'll, I'll figure out that, yeah, I also need to post on, on Instagram, not just follow people. Uh, but yeah, you can also check out the podcast. Uh, once you're done listening to yours, you can listen to, to mine on uh, iTunes or uh, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a good show. We also have the Leafs Hour, if you're into, uh, into the Leafs. Uh, so it's a three-hour radio show, 9 to noon on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, 9 to 10, and then uh, 11 to noon are separated in their own podcast, and then we do Nothing But Leafs 10 to 11, which is also a podcast, so check them out. And the links to them are also on my, my Twitter page. Again, it's Sportsnet Ben. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us. And listeners, make sure to hit that subscribe button and give us a five-star rating, and we'll talk to you later. All right.